The book is That Guy, yeah. A Cautionary Memoir. 2023, it came right. out, just came out. I've been trying right. to bone up on the information you sent me, and there's a lot. You've had a long career and a lot of, a lot of uh, situations, people you've met, people, place, and things. And that's what your book is about, yeah. right? Yeah, it's about my life in show business. It's not my. Uh, it's it's a little about my personal mm-hmm. life, but a lot about all the shows that I've been on. I just, uh, uh, it, podcasters have told me because I don't follow me, but podcasters have told me that I've done about two hundred and ten oh, shows, and and uh, you know who's that? Who's who just said Coca Cola? Melrose, Larry Green. Were you on oh, a Coca-Cola okay. commercial, Larry? No. No, I was never on. No, my, I'm at, my, my roommate wanted some Coca-Cola. I'm listening to the show. We've got one guy, Melrose, and one guy's Larry Hankin. we got two Larrys here, like the two uh, guys from Newhart, you know, Daryl and Daryl. But so we've got two Larrys, but one's Melrose and one's Larry Hankin. We've got to get that because, you know, okay. get that down. All right. So Larry oh, Hankin. Please let me ask that early question. Larry Hankin, i got to ask a question. I'm okay. running scared. Running scared. Did you enjoy yeah. being on that movie? Was no. it fun? No. It wasn't. Why? No. Well, because, uh, I mean, you see, that's why I wrote the book. Uh, I, if I had fun on everything, there would be no book. There'd be no reason for the book. I'm trying to tell people in the book what ha- what really happened. Well, what really happened was uh, it, there the... Everybody was making the movie. It was kind of hard to deal with. So I, I kind of think it's me that's hard to deal with. I mean, <laughs> if everybody's hard to deal with, it's, it isn't them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and then it rained during the, the filming of it. I think I was under a bridge or something. Where I, was, I was a crazy guy. And yeah. uh, No, no, wait a minute. R- running, no, wait a minute. I'm getting two movies mixed up with the same with the same star. Running scared with two Chicago detectives it was Gregory. Okay, Hunt. yeah, yeah, okay. That was a little better. That was a little better because yeah, I was a mechanic with the taxi. That was that one. Okay, I've done a lot of. They make the bulletproof. You made straight. the bulletproof. You made the bulletproof. Right, taxi. exactly, exactly. So yeah, no, that was that was fun because. Uh, I, I just was inside uh, in the garage and I just had to deal with, um, you know, the two stars and, and that was, you know, pretty easy. So, yeah. It was, and and it they was, were good, good guys, real good guys. Um, well, let me see who, uh, who was the, the, the tap dancer, the, the actor. Gregory, who was Hines. It, uh, Gregory, Gregory Hines, Gregory Hines. Yeah. Gregory Hines. Gregory Hines is really hard to deal with. I, I was in two movies with him and, uh, and not with him, but I was in two movies that he was in, and I was a character in it. Uh, and he's hard to deal with. He's, he's really like, he's like a star. He wants to be treated like a star. And I don't really, I choose who I want to deal with as a star. It's up to me. <laughs> so I, I, deal, I dealt with him like I deal with any other actors, and he took umbrage at that. Uh, with um, the the comedian, the stand-up comedian, uh, who is the other guy? Um, uh, he was on Saturday Night Live. He was on Soap. I can't think of his name. Yeah, like, yeah. Billy, Chris- yeah, yeah, yeah. Billy Crystal. Billy, Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal. 
Billy Crystal is easy because, you know, he's not a star. I mean, he doesn't act like a star. He is a star, I guess. But, yeah. I mean, he's just a guy, man, and, and, and that's what I am. And so we got along great. And he's a baseball but man. Gregory, so you know. Say, you're saying that Billy Crystal is basically a guy from the neighborhood that can act a little. Yeah. And, and, yeah, yeah he, doesn't, he doesn't put on airs, but and, Gregory kind of does, you know. I want to say this. So I'm that. not. I'm not attuned to that. And that's sort of like what, I, what Melrose Larry Green is on the phone. He's from your neighborhood. And that's where we want to get back to, you know, where you grew up. He start, I wanted to get back to that. And how you Far Rockaway, Long Island? Melrose? Well, I'm from Woodmere. I'm from right down, you know, a couple of, couple of villages town, over. Man, the next town, yeah. I used to yeah, I'm from Woodmere. Woodmere. Where did you work yeah. in Woodmere, Larry? Right in, yeah. On Dalsimers Florist. Oh, I remember. I remember that place. Yeah, of course. Well, I, I went to Hewlett High to... School. You say that again. I went to Hewlett High School. Oh, Hewlett High School. Yeah, I, we used to play them in some sport. I don't remember exactly which one, but Hewlett. I I'm a big that. fan of yours, to... Larry. I love your work. Well, you're a, you're a, you're a, you're an incredible, talented guy. Wanting very modest. You're not difficult. Oh, I've been a fan of yours for years. Your book, that guy, uh, I'm enjoying it. The, the, the oh, introduction great. I've heard about, and I, I, I tell you something. You, you probably don't know me. I used, I used to go on Howard Stern. I'm going back on Howard Stern for, for years. I've been on oh, Howard get Stern. Get me on Howard Stern. Put in a word. Oh, that's a done deal. I'm going to call okay. Baba Booey, and next time I talk to Baba Booey, tell him about you. I talked to him show. three three days I'm, ago. I talked to Baba. Do you know do you know the name Howard Deutsch? Howard Deutsch married yeah, to Leah Thompson. That, yeah, where do I know that name from? I he worked with John Hughes on, on on some of the movies. He's the director. He worked on some of the movies you did with oh, John right, Hughes. Right, right, right. Then he no, went to Hewlett High School. Oh yeah. I mean I know of him, but no, the movies that I did with Howard Hughes with uh, Howard Hughes with John Hughes. Um, John Hughes directed one, and um, Christopher Columbus directed the other. So I don't know how Howard Dutch. Uh, what was the third movie? I, I've been in three movies with. Uh, yeah, he did John Pretty Hughes. in Pink. He, that's his main oh, okay. claim. Okay, that's think. where I know the name from. It's a great movie. You yeah. know, Larry, yeah, I, right. I, 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 I'm so. I, people that are listening to this need to understand that. This Oscar stuff going on on Sunday. Yeah. Larry Rankin has more experience and has done more in his lifetime than all these actors that are going to be getting their Oscars put together. This is a working actor who keeps going like the ever ready bunny. And <laughs> and I am I, I just love everything about you, man. Can I just ask you quickly about your years in San Francisco when you did your improv group in the 60s, the Commedia dell'arte? Uh, yeah. What was that all about? It was about listening is what it's about. Uh, and, and no denial on stage. If you, if you can remember those two things, you'll be a big star in improv. Uh, I loved it. I wanted to stay there for the rest of my life. I, I never wanted to leave. Uh, that was... That was my sweet spot. Um, I was there for 10 years. And uh, I really went down to Hollywood uh, very with trepidation. I, I really didn't want to leave. I, I didn't know what was down there. The money was huge. 
and that's why I went because the money is huge down here. I'm in LA now, but back then back we the- were making $250 a week to maybe 500 if you were there a very long time. But, um, you know, and we're doing three shows on Saturday and two shows, uh, and two shows on Friday. I mean, we we Larry, Larry, I wanted to get back to the book. Hey, Melrose, I want to get back to the book, though. We want to talk. Yeah. Okay. In the book, the Bob Dylan, the the Ballad of Alcus. What does that mean, Larry? Okay. The Ballad of of Alcus. Um, Howard Alk was Bob Dylan's documentary filmmaker. So any film that you have seen with Bob Dylan in it, a documentary with Bob Dylan in it, Howard Alk had something to do with it. Uh, generally, he was an editor. He's probably known for being the best editor at at his and his time uh, during the '60s. But he also carried a camera with him, a uh, very small, uh, I think it was a 16 millimeter camera. And he, wherever he went with Bob Dylan, he just picked, took the camera and he would just sit next to Bob and he would just turn it on and turn it off. Uh, during a conversation, but he always had the camera with him. But uh, I, if you read that section of the book, yeah, where I worked with him, with Howard, uh, writing a movie for Bob. And uh, yeah, he would come over. Well, he only came over once, uh, but he was there for a couple of hours and we just talked about what the movie was going to be about. Uh, So it was, it was fun working with him. I mean, talking to him for those two hours and then I went over to his house once, and the amazing thing about Howard Alk, he always talked about dogs of all nations. Even when we were talking about the film, he wanted dogs of all nations in the film. And when I went over to his house, I realized dogs of all nations was not something he made up. Uh, he lived in the woods. He lived in a cabin in the woods. And I was outside, and he said, I said, what's this dogs of all nations that you keep talking about? And he yelled out, he says, oh, uh, let me show you. And he yelled out, dogs of all nations. And about, I don't know, 15, 20, it seemed to me, dachshunds ran out of the house to him. So he had like, (laughs) I'm telling you about minimum of nine, minimum. But there had to be more. And they were all ages. Some were puppies and some were just, you know, full-grown dogs. And... That was the amazing thing. He was an amazing guy. I, I mean, just as a person. Uh, and no wonder Bob, you know, just hung out with him. He, he just was, he was a huge bear of a man. Black, black beard, black hair, black mustache, big, big bone, very heavyweight. Yeah, he was a great guy. Larry, how did you get into that culture? I want to know how you got into that culture. Like, you came from college. I mean, what year did you yeah. grad- graduate from college? 1959, I guess, something like that, 59. yeah, 1959, 1960s, one of those two years, because my, my uh, matriculation was for five years, I was in industrial design department, that was a five-year uh, school, so I graduated, I, you know, a year off, a, a year more, I, so I keep on getting it mixed up, was it 
59 or 60, but one of those two years. How did you, why did you pick uh, industrial design, like uh, prototypes? and? Uh, you know, I didn't thinking? pick, I didn't pick anything. I never picked anything in my life. I've I <laughs> just been like wandering around. That's funny. Uh, around. That's, I've been wandering around life. That's funny. That's what I've been doing. That's like me when I was in college. I was drunk and I picked the wrong bubble. And I got into human resources. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, what I did was um, I wanted to go to art school. I, I, I wanted to be a painter or some sort of artist, you know. So um, my parents wanted me uh, to go to college, but nearby, you know, so they could visit me every day. Uh, and I wanted to go out of town because I wanted to run away from home. And this was a, a, a legal way of doing. So when I graduated uh, high school, I looked up all the places I wanted to go that were art schools and I found out Syracuse had an in industrial design department and I read it wrong. I I read it as industrial design department <laughs> and I thought, wow, design, right. art, art school. It's an art school. I'll go there. And my parents read it as industrial design. So you really So had they said, yeah. Did you ever have any aspirations of becoming famous or being like a well-known person like that back with back then? Yeah, but I didn't know how. I just said I'm different than everybody else. That that's what I knew. But I thought it was a drag because uh, I kept on getting beat up in school. Well, you know, people. I didn't get beat up, but I mean, I get. I would I would get the short end of sticks all the time or. Uh, so I, I started to become a very funny guy, and that kind of put the kibosh on the you're not a good guy. And, and then, I was a, I was a, let, I was a great guy. Let, Larry, Larry, let me ask the question. Tony. This is the question I asked sure. Melrose Larry Green earlier. Did you come from an orthodox from family, or was your family like my family and totally non-religious Jews? They were they were totally orthodox non-religious Jews. And that fucked me up, man. Because Did they light candles on Shabbos? They didn't do diddly, but they wanted me to do everything. And and I really, you know, that rankled me, man. And I, so I never got along with my parents at all. I mean, that was it. I just wanted to run away from the time I was 10. Because, you know, they made me go to, uh, you know, yeshiva. They made me, uh, you know, get by mitzvah. In an orthodox shul, and they drove me to my bar mitzvah on Saturday, which you can't drive. You can't even have keys to your own door. They drove me there, and they parked two two blocks away from the yeshiva, the, the shul, and we walked there. So to hide the fact that we drove on Saturday, that that's how, how much bullshit was going on around me as far as religion. So as far as religion goes, you can take it and shove it. Religion is bullshit. And so you never, you I, never I'm reconnected with Judaism. You never reconnected with Judaism. Ever. I don't re I don't connect with any kind of religion. It, it's just a scam. It's a Ponzi scam. It's a it's a scam to get money. That's what religion is. So you're a follower of George. Okay, let me ask George you. Carlin. Let me ask you this: the cultural roots, the cultural roots of Judaism. Can you still yeah. identify with them? No, man. Why should I? Your heart Why? Give me a no? reason okay. to identify with anybody. Give me a reason to identify with you. I, I give you. I give you an example. I, I said this to Melrose. 
when I was 44, my last biological family member died. That was my sister. Right. And I was feeling kind of lonely. I never went to shul. I could have cared less. I saw myself right. as just an American. And uh-huh. I went to, I was around the Chabad guy, rabbis for a long time, but never went, you know, yeah, okay, rabbi, God, God bless you, see you later. Um, but here's, here's the deal. So I went and saw a rabbi, told him what was going on. He says to me, how old are you? I said, 44. He goes, oh, another one. So what does that mean? I had to be, started, did I guess when you get in middle age and everybody starts to die, you start feeling for your roots in life. Now I'm in my Not 60s. me. Not me. Don't put me okay. in that category. Okay. Well, I don't want to. I don't want I'm, to get I'm, a religion. I'm way older than you. I'm way older than you. And I, listen, I'm going to die. Everybody's going to die. You're going to die. We're all going to die. Everybody on earth is going to die. I mean, there's no big deal, man. I think that's what I don't understand. This well, I'm not talking about yeah. dying, but being a member of a religion. We don't want to get into religion when you start to get old. Yes, and you we, know, when you get I mean, out that's of that's fine right. if you have no place else to go. And when you go to prison, go to religion. And when you go, go to prison, go wherever you have to go. Right. If you need religion, go there. I don't need it. Right. I don't believe in it. It right. is nothing. Well, let's get past that. You get it? I got it. Let's change the subject. <laughs> Thank you. Because I don't. I don't. I don't. I know. So religion has nothing to do with Larry Okay. Hagen. Well, let's get nothing. on to something. Let's get on to something else. Let's get on to. Okay. okay. After you graduated from college, how did you get hooked up? Yeah. Okay. The coffee houses. Were you like in there with, uh, you know, well, Melrose. You had Bob Dylan. You had. Uh, I mean, who did you? Who did you? I had associate everybody. With? You everybody. had them all. Everybody. Right? Lenny Bruce. Everybody. Lenny Bruce. Lenny Bruce. Yeah. And that's that's Melrose. Everybody. Everybody was in the village when I was in the village. Bob Dylan, uh, 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 Jimi Hendrix, uh, uh, um, Dave Van Ronk, uh, Peter Paul and Mary. Uh, you just name it, and it's you, uh, and, what the heck is this? And you go to Melrose Larry oh, Green's man. show every night, and that's what he plays, right, Melrose? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love Dylan. You know, uh, Peter Paul and Mary. Bob Dylan was considered. I don't know if you know that, Larry. He was considered yeah. for the role of Paul, but it went to Noel Stuckey, and Noel Stuckey used to be a rock star. I don't know if you knew that, Larry. I used to watch uh, – Noel Stuckey used to be a stand-up comedian. I used to watch him in Greenwich Village. He was everything. And and you're, you're telling me that Bob Dylan was going to replace him and Peter, Paul, and Mary? Re- no, no. Before Noel Stuckey got the gig, uh, yeah. Albert Grossman had yeah. considered putting – submitting Bob Dylan, but Dylan didn't want to do it. You bet. No, I, I Bob, uh, Albert Grossman was my manager back then in, in the, in the, in the village. He, no kidding. He, uh, yeah. But Dylan brought me to him. Dylan was a big fan of mine in the, in the village when I was a stand up comedian. And when I not, finally, God, you still do comedy. No. You still do stand up, Larry? No, no. No, no, I, I want to. I'm going to go back. I mean, because the, the I, I do stand up. up, I do stand up, and and I, uh, I, 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 as soon as I saw your picture, I, I know you. I knew you from all the movies, but I figured you were right. a stand up. I bet you're a great stand up. Did you know Woody oh, Allen yeah. at all? I opened. Love for that Woody guy. Allen. You opened for Woody I, Allen. I opened for him for years. His I'm, manager was my manager. I'm telling uh, you, 
because Grossman, Grossman handles only folk people. He said, Grossman told me that I was too tall to be funny. <laughs> Larry, wow. Larry, wow. Larry Hankin. That's unbelievable. <laughs> Larry Hankin, you've got the yeah. right guy. You've got Melrose on the, on the phone here. This guy is going to promote the yeah. heck out of that guy, a cautionary uh, memoir. Larry, Melrose, well, Larry, that's, that's great. That is his. Everybody got to everybody got to get the book. That guy, Larry, you're so modest, and it's really an honor. It's a cool, an honor. For, I love your comments on religion. You sound exactly like my older brother Ricky, and I think your values are your values, and nobody can right. take a person's values away from them. Uh, the right. brilliant comment on, on religion, and mind you, I went to Brandeis University and Temple Beth Ellen Cedarhurst. But I totally love your comments, yeah. and that's what you're, you're brutally honest. You and Dylan are very similar to one another. Uh, I, yeah, I bet. Well, I bet. He you discovered mean it's, it's me. Just, Dylan discovered no me. No kidding. He really did. No, yeah. Wow. He was the one who said, "Hey, hey, Albert, you got to sign this guy." So uh, he, he refused to, but he he came and 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 he he helped me. Uh, Albert did. And then when uh, a real, when uh, Woody Allen's manager came in and down to the Greenwich Village, uh, uh, the uh, bitter end, to the bitter end, then uh, um, uh, Jack Rollins, Woody's manager, then he signed me and he, and that got me into the stand-up comedy field. He started booking me around. I was opening for Peter, Paul, and Mayor. Uh, well, uh, let me see. I was opening for the Kingston Trio, for Miles Davis, for Woody Allen. So I was wow. doing all the headliners. I was, I was opening for. Yeah, that the kind Playboy of, Club circuit. Yeah, that kind of leads me so to my know, next they, question. My next question. Kingston Trio was in North Hollywood the other yes. night performing. Yes. On Lancashire Boulevard. And that's where Ooh. my next question: the Kingston Trio. The King, Kingston Trio. Too and, bad you didn't open oh, up for them no. then. And, Two nights ago. <laughs> no, no, no. I said they're different. It's, it's yeah. not the same thing. But I wanted to ask this Come question. On, but, but Larry, Larry, uh, see, how what? did you get into San Francisco? How did, how did that evolve where you went to the late 60s into San Francisco, Haight-Ashbury, and the Jefferson Airplane? Well, okay. Uh, let me give you a quick a, a, a quick <laughs> rundown of how I got there. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I went to Syracuse University for five years. I didn't want to be an industrial designer, but I stuck it out. I, got, I was in, like an A student. Uh, I stuck it out. I got. I, I didn't go to graduation day. My parents came up. I didn't want to go to the graduation. I thought it was bullshit to stand in the sun with black robes on and a, and a, a hat and, and wait for all those <laughs> speeches. And then at the end, you take the hat, throw it in the air, and you take the robes off. It sounded like a stupid <laughs> deal. So I said, no, I'm not going. And instead, I went to the the orange, the bar, where you're just a, you know all the uh, college students went, and nothing big deal about it. But I got into a bar fight, a bad-ass bar fight, and I got the shit kicked out of me. I mean, really bad. I had to go to a hospital. And um, uh, I, I got even. I got even. <laughs> so it was okay, but I couldn't go to industrial design. My arm was pulled out of the socket. Uh, it was, it was just, I couldn't use one, one hand. So I had nothing to do so I told my parents, uh, and, and my best friend was Carl Gottlieb, who wrote Jaws and all those things. Mm -hmm. in, 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 in Syracuse, he was my best buddy. So we hung out together because he was in the acting department. So I, I would always go down to the acting department and hang out with Carl. And then when I graduated and I was all 
beat up and I couldn't do anything. Uh, I asked him, I said, where are you going? And he said he was going to Greenwich Village to be a writer. He wanted, always wanted to be a writer. And I said, do you want a roommate? And I said, he said, fine. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know, but I, I just want to go to Greenwich Village. It sounds cool. So I, I went there. I borrowed a, a little amount of money from my parents who didn't like what I was doing at all, man. So they kind of disinherited me. Uh, so I just hung out and I got a, a, a busing bars from 6 a.m., from 2 a.m. to 6 a.m., uh, and I did that for a couple of months, but I had my nights free and Carl was writing and going to work all the time. So I had my nights free. So I hung around in the village and I, I was seeing Bob Dylan. I was seeing all the people I've mentioned and, and more, uh, you know, Frank Zappa and everybody wow. was there in the sixties and, uh, the mother's invention and blah, blah, blah. And uh, Joni Mitchell was there. Everybody was there, man. It's insane. Uh, but nobody was known. And so I said, wait a minute, I'm a funny guy because, you know, I was funny in high school. I was funny in college. I'll be funny up on stage, which uh, was kind of hard. It's not that easy. Uh, it's different. Uh, getting up on stage in front of, fun, uh, in front of paying audiences uh, and ma being, making them laugh. But I finally got the hang of it. And that's when Jack Rollins came in and said, hey, you got a manager. And I said, no. And he said, how about me? And I didn't know who he was. I had no idea. Uh -huh. But the whole point of being in Greenwich Village, everybody, everybody that I mentioned and more, were in Greenwich Village not to become famous, but to get representation. Everybody wanted an agent or a manager. That's why they were there. Because you couldn't leave Greenwich Village unless you had an agent. You could do well in Greenwich Village with no agent at all. It was all coffee houses and, and small nightclubs. But once you got out of there, even uptown New York, you had to have an agent. So everybody wanted an agent. And when he said, how would you like representation? I flipped. Yeah, man, of course. And then, you know, that night when we were talking afterwards, you know, having a beer or a coffee, uh -huh. they said, hey, I, I said, hey, I got, I got some uh, representation. And that was like a big, a big deal in those days in, in that place. And everybody said, well, yeah, oh, yeah. Who, who did you get? Like, you know, well, what could you get? You couldn't get anything. And I said, well, I got, I don't know. I don't know the guy. His name is, uh, uh, I wrote it down. It's Jack Rollins. And everybody flipped out. That's Woody Allen's manager. Whoa, man. Cool. So, yeah. So he started sending me around. And then I started to dig Lenny Bruce, Richie Pryor, and George Carlin, and I started doing their kind of stuff. I didn't steal from them, but I was doing, in other words, critical thinking humor. Uh -huh. And when I was opening for Miles Davis, that was cool. But when I was opening for the Kingston Trio and Woody Allen, it was uncool. And they didn't want to hear that. They wanted to hear the Kingston Trio and Woody and not me. So I had to go out on my own. And so he started, Jack started booking me with people who would like what I did, sure. which was this critical thinking humor. You so know, you, cursing on stage, talking about marijuana and sex jokes and blah, blah, blah. So, but I talked about my day, not jokes. Yeah. And from there, I, I was being pulled off the stage by the police. And, you know, <laughs> just like Lenny. And I, I said, I called Jack and I said, hey, man, this is not fun anymore. I'm not doing drugs. Uh, at the time, I wasn't. 
and uh, I'm not doing drugs, and, and the cops are pulling me off the stage for what I'm saying, and that's bullshit, man. So he said, well, join Second City. They, you know, they own the theater. The cops can't get near you, and they're doing the same thing as uh, Richie Pryor and Carlin, so go there. So I auditioned. I got a job there, and then um, about five or six of us split after I was there for about six months, and then after that, um, about five of us split for Mexico with a director from Second City, and we went to Second. Uh, we went to San Francisco. So that's how I got to San Francisco. We opened a theater. We called it the Committee, but it was just a ripoff of Second City. It was improv. There's nothing to rip off. You make the stuff up. And from there, uh, uh, people from L.A., casting people from L.A., would fly up to see this very successful show. We had lines around the block and everything. So they would fly up and they would hire us. So we didn't even have to audition. We didn't have to go down there or look for agents or anything. Jack said that he couldn't help me if I was in improv, but good luck. And he said, you'll get a, an agent. Don't worry about it. You know, and goodbye. And so... Uh, uh, um, Penny Marshall came up, flew up to see the show in San Francisco, and she wanted to, uh, me to be in uh, the Laverne and Shirley show. Uh, yeah. She wanted to dance with me. Yeah. So I did the dance thing with Laverne and Shirley, and from there I got an agent. They saw me, and they said, hey, you got an agent? I go, no. And so, and then I was in Hollywood, and I was making a lot of money, but it wasn't that much fun. I mean, really, the best fun was stand-up before, before the cops started pulling me off the stage and improv in San Francisco, those were the two best times in my life. And, uh, you know, doing Breaking Bad and um, uh, Seinfeld and, uh, yeah, those two things like that, small stuff, I, I liked because you can get along with people and there's no stars but in L.A. and then uh, Escape from Alcatraz was really great. I, I worked on that for three months, got along great with Clint. I mean, we, we had fights. We, we disagreed on things, but we disagreed like like actors disagree. It was it was just, OK, you know, you're was, right or I'm right or OK, forget it. Yeah. And uh, uh, what's his name? Wait a minute. One more thing I got to okay. tell you uh -huh. is Don Siegel directed um, uh, oh, I, I directed Don Siegel directed Escape from Alcatraz, mm -hmm. and um, Larry David directed me in Seinfeld. And those are the two great directors. And John Huston directed me yes. in um, Annie. I can't remember. Annie. Uh, in Annie. In Annie. Annie. Yeah. So uh, you know that was the best of Hollywood. I, I kind of think I hit all the major people I wanted to, and then I got out. Yes, you know, I, and the, I, and the story, the... yeah, and the story about the dog catcher, the 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 role of the dog catcher. That's really great. The where the dirty the dirty outfit. Oh yeah, well, that's yeah, your well, personality. For me, man. That's your personality right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. My, well, John Houston is. I mean, he's in the you know the pantheon, man. I mean, he's. You can't get greater than, you know, you can be you can equal, but John Houston is amazing. Yeah, and and I got to talk to him and hang with him. Yeah, I mean that was, uh, yeah. So those kind of things, I, I. But as far as being a Hollywood actor, that that's nothing. I I don't, you know, that's cool. 
because that's, of the money. But, but that's not where but, your your, you know, your heart is ba- basically. That's not what I'm about. That's yeah, not yeah. What I'm about. I mean, right. It's just not what I'm about. And you know why? That's what turned me on. This is Trevor again. That's what turned me on was the problem. Now, when you wrote that, that's beautiful. The homeless situation. I mean, that seems like it tugs. Wait a minute, the... wait a minute. What is that? No, hold it, hold it. What? what... Oh, the, the the film short. Yes, yes, that was great. I mean, I even have a clip of it if oh, I can play it. You. Can I play it? Oh, yeah, sure, man. Yeah, okay. I wrote and do, I, I didn't direct this. it. I wrote this is it. sort of me. I used, I used to go down to, like, uh, the streets, like, just to get away for two days. I'd get a, a dumpy motel and just hang out on the street. That's what I did. And just to get away. Well, I lived on the street. Yeah, yeah, for I know. A year. I know. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so here, okay, hold on. Let me get it. Uh, yeah, that really, that really tugged at my heartstrings. The, the well, yeah, I made three of those, so they they go, they got prizes. Uh huh. You know, but that's not why I I that that that's a, see, I don't. You know, if you here we go. If you want to be famous, you you got to be famous. Yeah. You got to you got to think famous. You got you got and I never I don't think famous. I mean I'm trying to think famous, but it's it's kind of hard being famous. Right. I, this, I, it's not attractive, man. I mean everybody knows you. Yeah, everybody knows you like friends and from like Home Alone and all that, but then some of the stuff that's coming yeah. out of you is like this is really what you're about and I want to play this. This is uh, Larry Hankin. It's he's homeless. I, he said it's the problem. Let's listen to this. It's about a minute. Minute and a half. Let just let's change the subject, okay? Something less acrimonious, you know, more amenable. You know, just uh, Wow, the sound is there. Let's talk. No, about hey, don't don't play it. Don't play it. Okay. Don't play it. I'll let you do it. Don't play it. Tell us what it's about. No, no, no. It's not no. The sound is bad. I'm the sorry. sound is bad on the film. Not your not your sound. Okay. But the anyways. film the film has bad sound. We we try to fix it. Okay. But if you play it in uh, on the internet, okay. Yeah. But through this phone, I'm listening to it on, on yeah. the phone. Okay. Is this and you're you're this is an audio broadcast, right? Yes. Yeah. So it, it, it doesn't translate. Okay. It, but I mean, just kind you of you have to see it original. Yeah. I mean, you you probably have <laughs> all the, the lines. You probably have all the lines memorized. Just kind of in a nutshell, you know, just tell us what it's about. Oh uh, no, I I I'm dyslexic. I I don't remember anything. Oh really? I'm dyslexic. <laughs> well, basically, what it's yeah. about is a guy wandering the streets, and the problem is, and everything it takes to be home, or it doesn't really take anything to be homeless. I mean, there's no problem. It's just oh th- well, yeah, yeah. The premise is anybody can be homeless. Mm-hmm. And then you start naming all the things. You don't even need to use your own name to be homeless. <laughs> you know, you, it's, it's that kind of thing. You know, you know, come on down, LGBTQT, you know, black, white, pink, red, blue. Anybody can be homeless. You don't even, you know, you don't have to have a, an address, nothing. So it keeps on going like that. But I did three of them, and each one is different. And this is all out of your uh, head. They, so, but I do it because I like making films. And, and, and because Hollywood pays you so much money, you can either buy a house or make films, and I chose to make films. It, it's very simple. And that's where but, you're at now. I mean, I'm not very complex, man. You know, I'm well, very direct. You've done a lot complex. more than a lot of people. You, I mean, you really cross a lot of paths with a lot of famous people. And I mean, I, look, I don't like yeah. fanatic. I don't want to be fanatic, but I mean, just people that have made a difference in this world, you know? 
Well, uh, yeah, but you see, I don't know, because, look, I, I think I have a high IQ. I, I've been told. I don't know that for sure. But I do know that I like hanging around with people who are smart. You know, I mean, they, they tell me things, you know, and, and, and if I say something, it doesn't sound stupid to them, you know. So, but, so, like, money and fame are not, within what I just said. Yeah. You know, I, I yeah, money and fame, whatever you want to be, whatever you want to be, you have to focus on it, man, and do it. How do you... And I never focused on fame or money. I focused on, I want to learn shit, man, and I want to be an artist, and I want to make stuff. Do you... And you need money to make stuff. Yeah, uh, but Larry, Larry, do you do the Hollywood show? I mean, yeah. how do you... How do you uh... How do you look at like signing autographs? I mean, how do you feel? It's it's okay. It depends on the on the on the person. I, I that that's good. Look, fans are very necessary to what I do. It's part of my job uh, because fans are the uh, are the mother's milk of show business. I mean, you're in, if you're in show business, you got to deal with fans. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you, unless you want to be behind the scenes and be crew. Yeah, and that's okay. Or be a director, that that's okay. Or be a cinematographer, that's okay. But that doesn't involve fans. But if you want to be a performer, to be in front of an audience, either on a on a screen or in live, you got to think about that. And I can't diss fans. They're 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 the reason that you people are talking to me right now. Right. Is because of fans. If I didn't have fans, I you know. I, I, I'm a fan. Trying to make I'm a big fan of yours, Larry. It's Melrose. Yeah, yeah, I'm a I big know fan. Melrose. I know you're a fan. I'm, I'm trying and, and to you know, say, you... I'm trying to say that I need people like you. But I, you know, but you're just like everybody else, you know. And in, in other words, you are not. Uh, I I don't owe you anything. If you want an autograph, no. fine. No, no, no. You don't owe me anything. Can I ask you about Sully's Diner? When you were you yeah. were nominated for an Oscar, right, right, yeah. Well, what do you want to know? That was not, what was it? Was that a short? Was it a comedy? What was it? It was a it was a film short. I told you I like to make film shorts, and uh, mm -hmm. I had enough money by being an actor. It cost twenty thousand dollars back in I don't know years ago. I mean, it's probably cost about fifty thousand dollars today. But I had $20,000. Uh, well, I didn't have it all at one time. What I did was we, we kept banking it. I, I would get like $5,000 at a time or, or $3,000 at a time that I could uh, just buy something. So I, I bought a crew for $3,000, a lot of favors and friends. So we shot it, and then we had to put it away for a while while I earned more money uh, to, to edit it. So then I got Larry, did you know Davy Cohn in Far Rockaway? Did you know him? No, who's Davy Cohn? I don't know. Davy Cohn, the guy in Far Rockaway, he'd be about your age. It doesn't matter. I yeah. thought you might know him. He worked anyway. for the Crawdaddy magazine in the 60s. No, I don't okay, know. Okay, I just wanted to ask, hey, Larry. I know Crawdaddy magazine. What? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that kind of leads in when you said friends. I, okay, I wanted you to tell that story about the five episodes. You know, 
You got five episodes. Which five episodes? What, what are you? A friend. Uh, friends. Friends. Oh, friends. Tell oh, us now. Story. This is this is this is the story here. I mean, this is where you're mainly. Well, I mean, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna tell. Well, okay. I mean, uh, I wrote the book, so I wouldn't have to do this. But oh, I'll, tell, okay. I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna you like a book, man. Well, I love this guy. This is the best <laughs> guest ever, brother. Okay. This is the best guest uh, you've ever had. Uh, but I mean, I can tell you, I, I'll give you a phrase, I'll give you a short <laughs> version of it. But uh, this guy's gold. I, I mean, well, 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 so friends, yeah. Let's I mean, just say you didn't get the, your house. The whole deal with <laughs> the whole deal with being an, on episodic um, te- uh, television is you are you. Each time you do a show, it's a one-off. It's you get paid for the one show, and if they invite you in back, you get paid for that one show. But if you do six shows one at a time, the sixth show makes you a recurrence and your uh, entire uh, definition changes. So you become uh, recurring and you get a bump up. So the sixth show is about four times what you would get for one show. So I did five shows and my agent said, hey, I got good news and bad news. Uh, the fourth show, the fourth show, he called me and he said, I got good news and bad news. And I said, OK, tell me what the good news is. He said, you got another friend. Five. I got five. Man, one more. And I am a recurring. I can I can put a down payment on a house or make another film. So I thought, wow, that is so cool. So then I go to the fifth show thinking, wow, man, one more. And I get a recurring. Uh, check and I show up and they say and I get my script and the script is I'm killed I have a heart attack in the fifth show so I got really pissed off man and uh, and and part of the story is which is the good part is when I showed up for rehearsal knowing that I am killed in this fifth show I started a fight in the middle of this big party for the beginning season. It was the beginning season, the first show, the beginning season of a new show, of a new season, first show. So they have a party every year. So this was the party. And I went to the party and I found the three producers of Friends at the same table. And I started a fight with them. <laughs> just out of the blue. Just like, because I was mad at them for killing me. Uh, uh, having having me killed, having my character killed, and preventing me from getting the bump up. So yeah, I said, you know what the fuck did you do? I don't think I said fuck. I think I was cool. But there was about a hundred people at the party, and it shut the party down for about I think about uh, maybe three minutes. Everybody just shut up. Oh wow, what what's going on over there? Now I was hollering at them. Why did you do that? And so uh, the thing that calmed me down, which I thought was really brilliant, the only thing I respected the producers for was one of the producers who was a woman, Martha. Mm-hmm. She, um, she just leaned in because it was at a, one of those stand-up uh, you know, cocktail tables where you just put your, you stand by the table and put your drink on it. It's a little table. And you, so uh, she leaned across the table and she just said, uh, well, I was hollering, you know, why did you do that? Why did you do that? And she just leaned into me and she said very quietly, she said, could we talk about this a little later, Larry? And it just 
so shocked me. I it shocked me to reality. I just shut the f up, and I just said, "Wow, what am I doing?" I, I lost it. In other words, I was just out of my mind. And you're basically a quiet so guy. So I shut up. Yeah. What? You're basically a quiet guy. Is what you you're always you're a quiet yeah. I'm basically guy. a quiet guy. But you when you say very shy. So <laughs> so uh, I I went over to the craft services table. I just wanted to disappear. Uh-huh. And then the party started up again. Blah 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 blah. So I went over to the craft table. I just wanted to disappear. I wanted to leave, but we had to rehearse. I mean, I've got to do a role now. So I went over to the craft table, and as every as I'm going over to the craft services table, everybody at the craft services table just split like Moses in the Red Sea, man. They just split, <laughs> and I was there all alone, thinking, what what should I do? I mean, I, I think I've killed the rest of the week for rehearsals, uh, and. Um, this kid comes up to me. He must have been about 15. I'm standing there all alone at the craft services table, and he comes up to me, and he stands next to me, and I look down at him, and he goes, dude, that was so cool. <laughs> I thought, thank you. Thank you, kid. Thank you. Will you be with me for the rest of the week while I rehearse? And finally, yeah. telling me that. Finally, somebody that has a backbone to stand up, right. Um, uh, yeah, so, but the rest of the week, man, nobody would come and talk to me. Nobody would come <laughs> near me, man. I just did my lines and would fade into the background. It was, it was the worst week I've ever spent in Hollywood, just that, that one week rehearsing. Because everybody thought I would just explode if they said the wrong thing. Yeah, there's one other but thing I, I missed. I, I missed one other thing, too. Uh, you have another book. Uh, that guy is out now, but the, the loophole dossier. What is that? Oh, about? the loopholes dossier. Yes, yeah. explain that book. Well, it's also that's on Amazon. It's also on Amazon. Yeah, um, I don't. Did, did anybody read it? Did you read it? I, uh, I no, I've got no some, infor- I've got to, some no. information about it. But I want you to tell us about Urban. Is that basically being homeless again? Is that where the homeless thing came up? Oh, that's where the homeless thing. No, see, yeah, what I did. See, I write all the time. It doesn't matter if I'm working or not working, or writing a book or what, or a movie. I just write. Uh, that's that's what I do in my spare time. So I was writing, and uh, I thought, um, oh, wait a minute, which uh, yeah. So I, saw, I had all these separate little things, and I had lived in my car mm-hmm. for a year. I was homeless for a year in San Francisco, uh, starving actor thing. So I thought I would write about that, and I would write a book about it. So I that that's what the loopholes dossier started out to be. And I got about, uh, I don't know, 75 pages worth of writing. And it's, I was trying to get writing as a satire. I, I called myself uh, Emmett, Emmett Demas. Or, no, no, no. It was it uh, Barnum Justice. Okay, yeah. Confession, Barnum Justice. Confession, confessions of an Urban Survivalist. But, and it also says right. there Volume right. 1. So I figured there might be a Volume 2. But I just wanted to ask that question. Is there it says volume one. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's about my time living in, in my car for a year and, uh-huh. and, and, and all the things I ran into. But the book, the loophole dossier, I, 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 uh, the, uh, the homeless part is 75 pages, what you just said. Yeah. But the rest of the book, uh, the, the beginning was five uh, satirical fables, five fables. Can you give for us an idea? Times. Can you give us an idea? Of and that was sometimes Jones. Yeah, Those yeah. are five different, or, or no, about seven. seven what's an, what's an idea of a fable? Give me one of your fables. They're all about sometimes Jones. What I did was, uh, because authors, famous authors, write 
fables every once in a while. Some just break down and just write a children's book. Uh-huh. I mean, it's just it's just a thing you do when you have no ideas. You just write a, a children's book, and you get ideas uh-huh. because it's a children's book. It just opens up a whole door. So a lot of writers do that, and that's what I did. For a while, I was just writing children's stories, but for, for college students. You know, it's really for college students. So there were eight of them. And, but the, 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 the trick of it, the twist was that all the eight uh, uh, fables were of one character. He was called Sometimes Jones. Mm-hmm. But the way I wrote the eight fables about him was each fable, he grew a little. He became a different age. So the first one is he's 15. The second one, he's about 17. The third one, he's about 28. The fourth one, he's about 40. And the fifth one is uh, he's about 50. Okay. Uh, or maybe 30 and 40. But yeah, so that's how the. But they were all about the same guy, and they're all fables. Yeah, it's you like know, if a, I only knew then. Yeah, like if I only knew then what I know. So now. that so that's the so that's the mm-hmm. first 50 pages. And then the second 75 or the homeless guy. And then the last one is called the loopholes dossier. And what that is, is uh, it was during COVID that I wrote that. But what it was about, it's about Trump, man. But it's a satire of Trump. And what it is, it's a story of, it's basically the loopholes dossier is the dossier the FBI kept of uh um, uh, Joseph P. Loopholes is running for president. And as soon as he um, opted to run for president, was like Louis B. Loopholes, I think that's his name, Louis B. Loopholes, as soon as he announced that he was running for president of the United States, the FBI opened a dossier on him to follow, as they did on all the other people running, a dossier just following him to, to keep tracks of him. So when he became president, they, they know who the president is and what, yeah. he, what he's done. And so I, I Larry Hankin, got the dossier from FBI. They, they released it to the public. That, that's the, the trick of it. Yeah, yeah. That's my twist. Right. So they got this. And so what it is, is it's the story, the FBI's following him, it's the dossier pages. It's pages from the dossier about Louis B. Loopholes or J. Loopholes. Um, in the beginning, when he first started to announce during his run campaign, and then when he got elected, and then while he was president, and then when he got uh, what do you call it decommissioned when he got kicked out? You know, when Congress said get out. Mm-hmm. What is that called? Um, Impeachment. Yeah. Impeachment. Impeachment. When he uh, and then the dossier was his impeachment, and then his three years later, the FBI kept the dossier, and then his rebirth. So, so that's what the loophole dossier is. It's the FBI's, my, the FBI's dossier of Louis B. Loophole's beginning, middle, and end, and beginning again. Of his of his latter day career, sort of like it's sort of pretty like, weird. Yeah, it's pretty it's cool. Sort of like Nixon and John Lennon, something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh. just like that. But 
But, so that's what the loopholes dossier, that's what that book is. But I never knew how to, and I couldn't get anybody to publish it. I, you know, I couldn't get a publisher. So I published it myself, but I didn't know how to sell it, which is what everybody who didn't want to, all the big, big book publishers, that's what they would tell me. I said, well, we don't know how to sell this. Well, we, well, you know, we, because they all sell, it's like movies, it's genres. Tony. And then this didn't fit any genre. Tony. Yeah, go ahead. You have anything to say? Yeah. Because I think Melrose is the guy that's going to sell this. Melrose can sell everything. <laughs> right, Melrose? Well, you know, so Melrose, go read the book and see if it's worth selling. And then, well, and then I, call I got, me. I got a question <clears throat> for, for Larry. And, okay. And is, Larry, Larry, you're going to love this. I'm, I'm one of those guys, got out of high school at 16, had an AA degree at 18, a bachelor's at 19, and a master's at 21, and wound up working as a a doorman at a bar um, because nobody hired Sounds me. Sounds right to me. Okay, so here's the deal. Some things happened in my life. I wind up creating a career for myself for 29 years and 10 months as a homeless consultant, not only being in downtown, and I made a lot of money doing it. Not only did I live in downtown Los Angeles, but I was with the homeless community 24-7, not a joke, for 29 years and 10 months. And wow, cool. I enjoyed the hell out of it. I actually enjoyed the yeah. hell out of it, except for the last four years. I got a little old. I saw a bunch of people that had spent their lives there and stuff. It's not a pretty sight for older people. Right. I want to ask you a question. I found in my own life, which the home I'm living in right now, four bedrooms, three baths in the San Fernando Valley, was paid for with that money. I got to say, I learned I was banking all my money. I learned that I could live with a with so little it wasn't even funny. Yeah. From all those and they taught me all the tricks. It was it, it yeah. was like when them saved the streets are paved with gold, I had a pickup truck. So I'm working, I'm doing my thing, working with the homeless community, whatever. We're doing cleanups. Okay, there's a pile of cardboard, load it up, boys. There's some metal, load that up. Every morning I would go recycle this stuff. My paycheck was going where? Right into the bank. Because I'm making money daily off of what Americans are throwing away. It was a, Exactly. And, and, and I, I would go further. There was a child that um, he's Korean-American. His mother was a religious nut. And they were living across the street from MacArthur Park. And if you remember that area downtown, it was pretty bad. And the mother was poor. And they were living in a one-room apartment with cockroaches and stuff. And I was asked to take this child. And I did. So he's refusing to go to school and stuff. So I put him to work on Skid Row. Come on, join us. And I would tell the kids, day in and day out, I would say to him, uh, uh, you got a high school diploma? And he would say, you know I don't. I said, well, get busy. This is your job for the next 40 years, dude. You're going to be cleaning these streets. Well, what do you think? Did you have a question? Yeah, yeah, Tony. From, from this standpoint on the learning process, what did you actually, like this kid did, and he's very wealthy today, what did you learn from your experience that year living out of a car? Uh, well, you don't need much, I'll tell you. Uh, and then when you're, when you're homeless, as I was for a year, or as you were, and then you watch television. You get a television set and you watch television because you have nothing to do. And you start to laugh at the commercials. 
what the fuck is going on? I mean, if you want to know about a country, watch television and watch the commercials of the country you're in. The commercials in America are such a stupid waste of money. All they want to do, it's another Ponzi scheme. That's what capitalism, it's a Ponzi scheme. Uh, but that's what, I, that's what I learned, how little you need and how much people want you to buy shit. It's amazing. If you just look at television and the commercials, understanding that all television wants you to do, all America wants you to do, is buy shit. Buy new shit, replace shit, get rid of shit, buy new shit, buy more shit, get better shit. But buy it. Spend money. I have now worked it out so that I only leave the house, I, I leave the house knowing that it will cost me money walking outside. That's, that's what I learned. If you leave your house, Larry, you're going to spend money. Yep. And, and okay, I mean, I, I, fine. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a miser. I spend money. I don't have a lot of money in the bank because I make, I make movies. I, I have insurance. I get gas for my car. I pay rent. Yeah, but the stuff that they put on television that's what I learned being homeless is you don't need this stuff. Right. You realize if you stop buying stuff, America would collapse. I mean, that's it. Yeah, people walk around. Yeah. People walk around emulating the Kardashians. Thinking, oh, yeah, I need this diamond you ring. Can, you can't keep it up for long, man. You uh -huh. cannot keep that up for long. <clears throat> right. The in, in your Kardashians are doomed. Yeah, Larry, in your experiences of that year of homelessness, how many people did you actually come across that said, you know, Larry, what's up, dude? What's, what's going on? Uh, how can I help you? Did anybody ever do that, or did you find it just the opposite? I never told anybody. Like you I never to told anybody. Nobody knew that I was homeless. I mean, except the people that I hung out with being homeless. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, the people who I, uh, I was trying to get jobs for, stuff like that. I mean, they always kept a, a pair of clean clothes, a pair, or, or I mean, you know, like, like pants, a shirt, a tie, and a jacket. That was, that was for if I wanted to go out looking for a job or when I got an acting job. I would get acting jobs, but I would be living in my car. Uh, so, you know, I, I would make a little money, but not enough to pay rent. I mean, yeah. I didn't have enough money to rent a, uh, an apartment, but I had enough money to, say, feed myself. But that I also found out where I could get cheap food or where, where you could find, like I learned how to dumpster dive and all that stuff, you know, which is what you learned. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, you learn tricks of survival, and they're not the tricks of maintaining or being normal. There is no normal, actually. But you, you learn how to survive. I'm sure you know how to survive. You know, I, 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 I do, too. Trevor, I, Trevor, Trevor. Yes. Trevor, yes, it's Melrose. Melrose, uh-huh. Listen, I... I, I got to ask, I wrote a song for Larry. I'm at my piano right now, the Larry Hankin Blues, and, and I want to play Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. 45 seconds. Larry, Larry, okay, so Melrose does yeah. a show every night, Melrose Larry Green. And tell it, Melrose, okay. what, what's your show? Mary, Melrose Larry Green show. No, right? no. Go ahead. Hello, I want to play the song I wrote for Larry right now. Okay, go ahead. All right, Larry. All right. You're fanned. You're fanned, Larry. Right here. Okay. Well, I like Larry Hankin. Everybody got to buy the book, That Guy. I'm Melrose Larry Green, Larry Hankin from Rockaway, 
and he went to school in industrial design at Syracuse. Well, I went to Hewlett, and then I went to Cornell University down the road from Syracuse. Larry Hankin is the coolest dude I've ever heard about in my whole life. As cool as Woody Allen, as cool as George Carlin, as cool as Bob Dylan. Larry Hankin, this is the greatest hour of my life. You're so real, man. You're real. You're as real as Bob Dylan and Howard Stern. You know what I mean? We know. All right. Oh, you gotta wow, read that man. guy. <laughs> if you're a fan of Melrose, Larry Green, you gotta read that guy by Larry Hankins, or else don't talk to me anymore. Talk about freestyling, It's nonsense. Complete bullshit. But I love. You have enough. You like it, guys? Yeah. Well, it it uh, I I like the fact that it does it didn't rhyme. It's really cool. That's freestyling, is what you And doing, it, and Melrose goes cool. out. Melrose goes out on. Uh, on the street, and he sings these songs. Like you got to get out there and start singing. That's great, hip hop. Hip hop's got nothing on you, man. Yeah. Freestyle. Listen, Larry, you got to go back yeah. to stand up. Trevor, you got to talk to Carl Kearns. We got to set this thing up. And Trevor, you got to be the MC. Melrose, Larry Green, Larry Hankin, Melrose, Larry Green. We'll get it going because I know it would it would sell. And okay. Trevor, you're the one that put it together. Larry, you can talk to Trevor to get a hold of me. Because Trevor's got my well, number. You've got all the connections. You've got all the connections in Hollywood. I can make it up there. Is that where you're going to do it? Well, this guy, this guy, Larry Hankin is gold. Yeah. And you know what? He's real. And you, by the way, Larry, let, let, let yeah. me make this very clear. You have nothing yeah. to apologize at that friend story. You were, you didn't lose it. You were right. My mother, Gussie Greenblatt, is is is, is listening from the grave right now. She was the same yeah. way. You know, that's Far Rockaway, baby. That's. Far Rockaway, change at Jamaica, track number six, Far Rockaway. You didn't do anything wrong, Larry. They effed up at Friends, not giving you the, the bump up. You didn't lose anything. And the 15-year-old kid's a cute story, but make no mistake about it. You didn't do anything. Do you remember the TV show Fridays, Larry? Yeah. Remember that TV show? Well, you may know this and maybe not, but I love to stump you on something. There was a guy with a big, big afro on that show, a guy with glasses. You know who that guy was? Larry David. Michael, Larry, Larry David? Was Larry on David Fridays? was on Fridays, yes. And well, he had so a big outro. Uh, so was uh, Michael. Richard. Uh, Michael Richards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. I didn't know Larry. No one started up. Larry David, you can look it up on YouTube. He had an outro about 10 inches high. A Drewfro. A Drewfro. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. Larry. <laughs> Okay, listen, I, I got to get I off. I know, but uh, wait. This is an hour. Wait, wait. I, I can't hour. let you go until we do one more thing. Okay, we're going to sing. Okay, okay we're going to sing a song. But not a sing a song from Uh-oh. Melrose Larry Green. You're going to pick a Bob <laughs> Dil- You're going to pick a song from Bob Dylan to let us out. What song do you want? You talking to me? Who are you, who oh, are you talking to? Larry Hankin. Okay, you want me to pick a Bob Dylan song? Yes. Um, and we're going to play it out. Everybody must get stoned. I know that one. Are you going to play it? I can play it right here. Nope. I'm going to play Bob Dylan. You ready? All right. All right. Okay, fine. Can I sing along? All right. (laughs) Okay. Here it comes. Number one on the Melrose Larry Green chart. Here it comes. And this is Trevor's Happy Hour with Larry Hankin.
Thank you, Larry Hankin. Thank you, Melrose. Okay, thank you. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Bye. Here it goes. And then I got to promote one more thing. And there goes Larry Hankin. End of the night. I got time, Trevor. Dice. I'm, I got time. I got all day. <laughs> there he is. Remember, remember Dice? An hour back. Yeah. Back an hour. Hey, who's hey, Melrose Larry? Who's the your the person that you've actually gotten to know in Hollywood? An actor that you not necessarily that they were your favorite actor, but somebody that's down home and real, and you really care about and get along with well. Who is it? Well, well, it's not an actor. It was a comedian. Uh, he's no longer alive. Jackie Mason. He was. Oh, he was. Great. He was a good friend of mine for thirty years, and he really confided, uh, you know, in me and uh, gave me has given me tremendous advice over the years. And uh, a very decent guy. And uh, I, I, I got to tell you something about Larry Hankin. He is a very super talented guy, and he's very focused. He's focused like a laser beam. And I think that all people that are in acting and, you know, that have a, a persona are entitled to their, to their private life. Howard Stern, for example, 
guards his three daughters and his personal life jealously. I mean, incredibly. I don't blame him for that. I mean, look what happened to John Lennon. Look what happened to the to the uh, to Ronnie Dio. You know, uh, the rock and roll guy. There's there's some of these fans are in are crazy, and we live in crazy times now. But I honestly think you guys did a fantastic job with Larry Hankin. I think that, you know, just with the Oscars coming up, guys, in two days, it's pretty appropriate that he be a guest 48 hours before the Oscars because the Oscars are bullshit. They really are. Larry Hankin, to me, is more impressive than 90% of these actors that are being nominated on Sunday. If you look at his body of work, he spans six decades guys that's 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 60 years i mean i'm 72 years old and 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 that's that's a lot of time experience larry yeah it's almost like he had two careers you know the the latter career in tv and movies and then the first career was like basically a beatnik and throughout the 60s like following brown bands and stuff like that so well no he he obviously he enjoyed his listen to me he enjoyed his craft. Yeah. I don't think it was that he was doing this to become Robert no. De Niro or Robert no, Redford. No. He was doing it because this is his craft, and he was improving right. on his craft. Yeah. You know what, Trevor? I think he really wants to go back to stand-up. I really got that feeling. And, Trevor, if you can, if you, can um, uh, you know, reach out to him and see if he's really serious about going, out to, going back to stand-up, uh, I know uh, – the owner of Laugh Factory, pretty well, pretty well, and my comedy store contacts are, are not are limited, but I know a couple of people at the comedy store that are up there. And he's really serious because um, I think he'd really be happy doing that. It won't be easy. I mean, it's it, it's tough doing stand up, no matter who you are. My friend Al Lubell, uh, who won Star Search, went on the other night, and there weren't more than ten people in the audience, so it's tough. Right. But if he's serious. Reach out to him and and uh, you put it together and, and and count me in on that. And I'm sure a lot of comics would want to work with Larry Ankin on stage. But if you can put it together, you know, you you, you and Tony become the producers because you're the guys that got him on this show. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to go directly through him. I got his PR guy, Steve, and uh, yeah. hopefully he can, like, well, you talk know, to that guy. work in between. Talk to Friday. that guy and see what he says because yeah. I really think that, 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 that uh, it doesn't matter how old you are. Like, like I'm 72. And when I sit down at the piano and, and I think about gigs, I don't think the last thing I think about is how old I am. I love when Larry Hankin says, you know, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. You're going to die. I'm going to die. We're all going to die. And the idea, it's like Dan Bongino says on the radio, don't get dead. Don't get dead. And I liked when he talked about Trump. I don't really care who likes Trump, who doesn't like Trump. Howard Stern hates Trump. Jimmy Kimmel hates Trump. They're both friends of mine. Okay, you, you dig what I'm saying? Yeah, but and I never has... understood why people get crazy over this politics. Hey, I don't care who somebody. I think we can make some money uh, if we do the stand-up thing. If he's serious, if he doesn't want to do it, I don't care. I'm doing my L- thing Larry, anyway. Larry, Larry, channel yeah. this. Yeah. What was that guy's name that got murdered uh, the, for the Cotton Club killings? Uh, uh, give me his name. The guy that was murdered, the Cotton Club thing where he got murdered and it was drugs and what was his name? Was, was Where was the Cotton Club? In New York? No, the movie, the Cotton Club. Lanny Green. Oh, I don't know. I, 
I don't I don't remember Roy that. Roy Raiden, hang on, Roy Raiden. That's what I'm looking at. Roy Raiden at twenty. Oh, Roy Raiden, yeah, yeah, yeah. Roy Raiden, yeah. Was making right. million. Was making a million right. dollars a year, like fifty years ago. A million yes. dollars a year by putting yes. all these older actors and then taking them on tour around the United States, doing the comedy, the singing, the whatever. And that's basically what you're talking about because nobody's doing it. Not one or two acts, but five, six, seven. Yeah, acts yeah, yeah. All yeah. at once. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I talked to a guy this morning, a friend of mine in Vegas. I talked to a guy this morning. And, uh, you know, this it's just a everything is like molecules. You know, I believe you can never give up in life. I believe that that anyone's past, particularly if they're in 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 uh, uh, the business, is them. In other words, when when. Uh, when Larry talked about his parents and the graduation, I can relate to my own family. You know, um, I didn't even want to go to college that, that I went to. I wanted to go right from high school to, uh, to playing the piano. And my parents sort of wanted me to go get a degree. So I went to Brandeis and I went to Cornell. I don't regret it. I'm very proud of my degrees. But I want you all to know that when I asked um, – when I asked Larry about Howard Deutsch, Howard Deutsch is a big fucking director. He's married to Leah Thompson. This guy, I went to high school with him. He played basketball. He was a good basketball player. He never talked to anybody. I had no idea that his father was well-connected in show business. But if you look up Howard Deutsch, D-E-U-T-S-C-H, Howard Deutsch, you'll see he's worth about $30 million. Wait, is that guy related? And I know you are you. I'm going to copy. I went to University High School in West L.A. So Jay uh-huh. Mansfield's son, Mickey Hargitay Jr., was one of my best friends. I went to junior high and high school with him. Uh-huh. Uh, you uh-huh. Darby Crash from the original punk band, The Germs? Yes, yes. I knew him real well. He looked nothing like he did when he was in punk. He looked like a little surfer and could have cared less. His original no kidding. Player, his original, oh, you're going to love this story. And this is true. He's now deceased for two years. May his name be remembered, John Grant. John Grant is mm-hmm. the original bass player for the Germs. But John Grant always did these shticks, okay, guerrilla theater shticks, long before it was popular. And he did some of that shit for Andy Kaufman on the street because mm-hmm. his dad was John's dad was in business and, and somehow became connected with, with Andy somehow. And John would do all his routines. And I'm telling you the truth. That wrestling girls routine came from my high school friend, John Grant. Not only did he never get paid for it, he never <laughs> got credit for it. I totally believe you. Okay, stuff like this I... happened. So, okay, uh, Jean Stapleton from All in the Family, her daughter was in one of my classes. But you're going to love this story. This is what I, one of the things as a kid I'm famous for. <laughs> it was a, a friend of mine, Hunter Watson, and I, every Friday and Saturday night, here in L.A., we would go mm-hmm. to Bel Air, Beverly Hills, Brentwood Pacific Palisades, and crash parties. Didn't know the house, didn't know the people, didn't care. In we'd go, right? <laughs> One night, right there, right there by, it's a, it was on Tilden, but it was right there by Veteran and Sunset. We'd go to this house, two-story home. I just drove by it last week. Hadn't been there in 40 years. And, and we go in the side gate, we go in the backyard, 
and there's a guy and 10 girls back there. No music, no lights, they're drinking beer. So Hunter and I are drinking beer with them. We start smoking weed. We're back there about, I don't know, 15 minutes. It was boring. And so we're getting ready to leave, and the porch light comes on. And I look up, and there's Colonel Hogan standing there with a little girl <laughs> with dark hair, kind of kind of chunky. It was in one of my classes. Didn't know her name, but I knew her by sight. And she looks over, and out of 13 kids, she points at me and says, Tony, is that you? And I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> God. My dad was in Hollywood. I thought, oh, God, I'm busted. Oh, God, I'm in trouble. Right? So being a smart aleck kid that I was, I look right at Bob Crane and I said, hey, Hogan, where's Schultz? And Bob Crane wow. had a full meltdown. He didn't think how, it was funny at all. How old were you? He grabs a hold of me and pushes me off his property and is screaming, you know, he's calling the cops. We're going to jail. You know, and we split. We bounced. Um, so fast forward. My dad and I are at Sepulveda and National. It's a month before Bob Crane's murdered. We're at the Savon drugstore, and there's Bob Crane with the guy that allegedly murdered him and a blonde woman that was not his wife. And my father says, my dad was the star of at least three Ed Wood movies. He was in all these films and wrote for ABC television. So my dad says, oh, look, it's Bob Crane. Let's go say hello. And, of course, as a kid, I'm thinking, oh, God, he's going to remember me. You know, you're that bastard corrupting my daughter. You know, that routine. And uh, I said to my dad, oh, I'm sure he doesn't want to be bothered. And, of course, it had to be. He gets in line right behind us. And I'm, like, putting my hand on my face like, oh, I got an itch. You know, you can't see me. I got an itch. Like he's even looking at me. It was, it was funny. And then a month later, he got murdered. It's Hollywood is a wild place. It's a wait a minute, you wild think that, wait a minute, hang on, hang on. You're saying that the guy that was in the store is the one that murdered him? Yeah, he was with him. They were together. Oh. His name was Carpenter. The guy that got tried for his murder was with him in West Los Angeles at the Savon drugstore. And a woman. So they were friends? They were together. Huh? They, were, they, were they friends? Yes, yes. They were friends. He was a weird guy, this guy, Bob Crane. He was, mur- he was murdered by his friend. Uh, was, he, what, was he gay like, or a pedophile? I got a better one than that. I'm at the L.A. Gun Club. You know, I used to be a policeman. I was at the L.A. Gun Club. I walk in, Robert Flake's standing there. No I kidding. Reach in, I reach in the back of my pants. I pull out a pair of handcuffs. I walk right up to Blake and slap the handcuffs. I got a photo of it. I slap the handcuffs on him. And he starts laughing and going, I've had these on before. That's what he said, right? Everybody's laughing. My friend's with me. I take the handcuffs off. Everybody's taking pictures of Robert Blake, blah, 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 three months before the murder. One of my – he was there shooting his guns. One of my friends, he's now deceased also, um, who was a reserve with LAPD and got fired, um, was uh, talking to him. And this is, this is – Larry, this is the truth. was talking to him. And we come out of the gun club, and he said, uh, uh, Robert Blake really is kind of a weird dude. And I was like, what? I've heard he's kind of strange, you know. And he said, he asked me a question. I said, well, what was it? And he said, he asked me if a gunshot wound to the head was always fatal. Wow. I'm not kidding. And, of course, you know, we never came forward with the trial and stuff. It just Because Blake was just saying all kinds of crazy shit yeah. when we were in there. It was being friendly. So, I mean, again, Hollywood is – 
I had lived in Omaha, I would have no stories. But because I was born and raised here. What happened to him? Was he was he convicted? What happened with him? No, he was found not guilty, but in the civil trial, they hit him for thirty million bucks and bankrupted him. He died yesterday. Yeah, he yeah, did. I heard he died. Yeah. Do you think he did it, Tony? I do. I do. Yeah, I do. He, I, no, yeah, I do too. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you an answer. I'm gonna give you the answer to this. I think he was involved in it. I think there was somebody else involved. And I think no, somebody else pulled the trigger. Yeah, that's I heard right. It was, I heard yeah, it was somebody like somebody that like a like a gardener or like a maintenance guy on his property or something. That's what I heard. Something like that. Well, no, yeah. well, they looked at they looked at that guy, but they cleared him. So oh, there man. obviously was somebody else involved in this. Yeah. Hey, listen, Trevor. I got to split, Tony. Okay. That was amazing what you guys did today. That was great. I think no, it was that was your best. You yeah. What you oh, did. thanks. Well, I hopefully, I think, I think, hopefully, hey, Larry, I think we can get something. Yeah, if yeah, you, call, if, you know, if you can go if this out, guy, he may not be serious, but let me know, no, okay, Trevor? I know, I know he's serious. I mean, he's trying to get back in the, you know, with his book. So, I mean, if we, anything we can do to help him, I'm, I'm there to help him. And I got Zombie Wolf here. I wanted to say hi, Larry. Zombie. Okay, yeah, I'd love to go on stage with this guy, Larry Hankin. I love it. Because he can go for an hour. He could go for an hour. Yeah. Anyway, well, Zombie's in. So, anyways, Larry. Thanks for coming on, and I'm I'm glad that uh, we had a good show. Look, look, Larry. Larry is born. You can look it up on Google. It doesn't matter how old you are. You know, I'm going to be doing this when I'm 90 years old. Mm-hmm. But I'm I'm going to be Melrose, Larry Green. Maybe I'll be in a wheelchair, but I'll still be Melrose. I want to tell you something, guys. Life is great, and Trevor, you and Tony are wonderful. And and zombie and everybody else on your on your show, but today was your finest hour. Today was your finest hour, and you guys should really feel good about yourselves because this guy is the Oscar, Larry Hankin. It, look at his fucking resume; it's unbelievable. Yeah, I'll talk to you later, guys. Okay. okay. And I'm going to send uh, this to Steve Joyner. His stay in touch. Call me okay. anytime, Trevor. Got it. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks, Larry. Anyways, I'm going to send this to Steve Joyner, his PR guy, and let him. He can say he can have the audio. We don't have to get paid for everything. We don't get paid for anything anyway. So, <laughs> but send him the audio, and he can use it for what he wants. And that's about it. I don't. I'm not looking to get famous. Just like do good shows, and with Zombie Wolf, who does computer doesn't even work. So that's our show. We got people that don't even know how to get on the computer. <laughs> And Larry, and Larry, yeah, I'm joining join the club on that one. And Larry Hankin, who has to put on headphones and and can't answer the phone. It, I don't know. It's just funny, but it isn't funny. I don't want people editing my stuff. I mean, I, I want. Hey, where 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 is where is he living on? On the East Coast or out here? Here in Hollywood, somewhere in Hollywood. He is in Hollywood. Okay. He, he has a three one zero number. Yeah. So I mean, he didn't get his house from friends. He uh, he's paying rent, so. Yeah, no, well, no, no, you, 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 again, let's go back, because I think Lip Merrill has already hit on this, okay? This is a, a, a guy, we both picked up on this, mm-hmm. this is a guy that was doing it to get famous and drive a Ferrari, he's into his craft, he's into what he's doing, his art, whatever it may be, telling jokes, being an actor, doing stand-up, he likes it, he enjoys what he's doing. Yeah, well, I'm getting ready to go. I got uh, Kathy Garver just sent me a message. She's going to do an appearance. I, I told her I'd promote it, so let's do it now. So she's doing a movie. or she did a movie. She did a movie. It's called Yellow Bird, and it just came out. Right. On I, got, I got that. She gave me a bag, a Yellow Bird bag. I've got it. Oh, she did. Okay. Well, anyways, here's like a, a commercial. This is like a commercial for the movie, and then I'll tell you she's making an appearance. 
Let me see if I can show you. Did you get that appearance? Uh, I didn't. Tell me. Hold on. So it's in. Oh, where? Hold on a second. And Zombie can't talk. Zombie, are you there? He's like flashing, but his computer doesn't work. Um, I talked to Irving, the Indian boy, too. Irving's uh, hey. yeah, he's out. She's there. making a curse work. No, I'm, I'm, I'm getting it right now. I, I was kind of off, kind of looking at Zombie here. Um, I like her, Kathy Garvis. She's really a nice lady. Yeah, she, let me see what she sent me. Hold on. Anyways, I even told her that she says that you can come on and talk to her. Where is I it? I get to come on and talk. Yeah, she okay. says she's waiting. I called it, uh, the hillbilly. You're going to come on. <laughs> okay, here's here. She said the hillbilly can come yeah, on. Okay. The hillbilly can come on. Join me in a special screening of my award-winning movie, Yellow Bird, at the beautiful, historic Arenda Theater in Arenda, California. April 1st. Where's that at? It's somewhere in near San Francisco. Uh, just east of San oh, Francisco. East of San Francisco, a question and answer and meet and greet. It's a theater. And I think it's more like art, arts, you know, artsy people and things like that. Uh, well, you figure San Francisco. I should have asked uh, Larry Hank, and he probably probably performed there. Anyway, it's Saturday, April first, twenty twenty-three. Um, I'm gonna play the commercial that just came out, and you can go on uh, you can go on Amazon and watch it. I and you can like rent it and watch it. Here, there's here's our commercial. At the Yellowbird, everyday people shop for extraordinary deals on everything in our store. Oh, bought uh, Let me tell you what it's about a little bit. Yellowbird is a new feature film starring Brian Doyle Murray, Kathy Garver, Angus Benfield, Plastic Marty. Uh, well, it's about a successful PR specialist deals with the trials and tribulations of managing a local grocery store known as the Yellowbird while struggling with his loveless marriage, an unhappy stepdaughter, and his own sobriety. Okay, here it is. We're here to serve. And you're always greeted with a smile. Welcome to the Yellowbird. Big farm-to-table fans can check out our locally grown fresh fruits and vegetables in the produce department. We have big, bright melons. No time to cook? Pick up a bucket of the best chicken in town. Winner! Winner! Chicken dinner! That's Kathy Garber. She's in one of those little scooters you get in the market. <laughs> and our USDA prime meats are a cut above the rest. You want meat? Here's the beef. No trip to the Yellow Bird would be complete without picking up one of our delectable homemade cakes or pastries. They're yummy and sweet and a real family treat. But wait, there's more. Coming soon, the Yellow Bird will become an official sponsor of Scotty's Beauty Emporium. And with every 10 dozen eggs you purchase, you'll get a free shampoo and set by me. So come on down to the grand. Welcome to my vlog and welcome. There it is. So that's the yellow. Can you hear me? And zombie. Uh, I, you know what? Yeah, we hear you, zombie. Okay. No, it would be <laughs> would have been funnier if Jerry Lewis was alive. It would be Jerry and the little the little hover around going. Hey, lady. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it sounds like one of those '60s commercials. You know, like the. Like those one they show you in school. Yeah, that's the music. That's that's why they're doing it. That's exactly why they're doing it. Yeah, yeah. So you're right. And you got a bag or something? A hat, a bag, or yellow bird hat? Bag. I, do, you, do, you remember, do you remember the? Oh, do you guys remember the days? Because I do. 
But okay, Larry Hankin wasn't getting what I was getting at. I was getting at a cultural thing, not a religious thing. But that's fine. He's on his trip, which means he said I got he wasn't good. I'm sorry. He he wasn't getting together with. He wasn't digging on his parents. I dig it. Okay. Mm-hmm. But looking back, and I like to look back now. Okay, like in the '60s and stuff. Do you guys remember the special bags they used to put in ice ice cream into? Do you remember that they were like like uh, like thrifty like ice thrifty ice cream foil on the outside? It was like foil on the outside, so you get yeah. a pint of ice cream that would go in a special it's, ice. No, I haven't seen them in years. It's, no, it's like Over when you no, years. it's like when you order from Amazon and they come in frozen bags, like frozen food bags, and you order frozen dinners and but stuff. It, it was a different kind of a bag, though. Yeah. Okay, for, for like keeping ice cream cold. Uh-huh. And then the bags were always on paper. They were paper. There were no plastic bags. It was paper. Right. Okay? And they, it, it, for no extra charge, they doubled the bags for you. And so, I mean, all of this changed. And then you get either green stamps or blue stamps with everything, whether you were, you know, getting gasoline. Everything has just There's, I even saw a Gulf gas station out here on Imperial Highway. Did you know that? They still have a Gulf gas station? That used to be a 76. It's now Gulf. Just happened the last couple months. I don't know what's going I on. I haven't seen a Gulf gas. I have not seen a Gulf gas station in years. I just saw one, and it was on Imperial As Highway. As a matter of fact, it was. It was both Gulf and Tang that were sponsors of the Disney show. Yeah, that's an East Coast chain, but. Well, Maybe they merged with 76, Unical. Possibly. No, well, we had a Gulf gas station by my house in West L.A. in the 70s. Oh, you did? And then they tore it but I, yeah. They tore it down and turned it into a blockbuster. I've seen that a lot, though. I've seen a lot of gas stations turning into stations that I haven't seen, but they must be East Coast chains. There was another one I saw yesterday. I can't remember the name. It's like B and, was it B&P or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a B&P. Right. Yeah, they're coming around again. And Valero, that's a new, that's a, another uh, uh, chain. Valero Gas. Right. I guess that's the show. I don't know, man. We did, we did pretty good. We did two hours almost. That's about how they, how much they go. About two hours now. So. Yeah, Larry Hankin is uh, quite a character, quite an educator. How, how do you like that? Both him and Melrose, Melrose, Larry Green, both of them got terrific educations. Terrific educations. Yeah. And they, they all, they're like, uh, sort of like us, you know, we're not, we're not like highfalutin guys. They like need a lot, you know, I don't want to, you like, you wear overalls and <laughs> it's like, and you like, uh, like, uh, what do you call it? Pa- not pawn shop, well, pawn shops, but thrift stores and stuff. Yeah. And we're the same. We're all the same on this show. Pretty much. Pretty much. We don't need a lot. Well, we look, no, we don't, don't necessarily need a lot. Nets. That's another. We got to do a show on this. That's. I want to get in with with Larry Rankin uh, about this too. Dig this, okay? We don't need a lot, but uh-huh. it seems the women that come to Southern California. Uh-huh. Oh, I, I, let me let me tell this story real quick, and then we, we can go. All right. I heard this gal that left the Apache Indian Reservation, and one month later, at 18 years old, and one month later, uh, she was arrested for first degree murder her story she was convicted she did 22 years and most of those 22 years i was in because of her mother i was communicating with her and i helped her get paroled okay mm-hmm. so 
she's been out since September, and she sends me some pictures of herself, and I almost fell on the on the floor. She's a Native American, and she she had probably five hundred bucks worth of makeup on that was just fabulous and fabulous clothes, and I was like, what the hell is this? And what what is her goal in life? To go to Beverly Hills on Rodeo Drive and go shopping. From an Indian reservation to 22 years in prison. And I said, where the hell did you get this? She said, oh, well, they would send us magazines. And we would look at all the fashion magazines. Right. That's what you get in Southern California. They all come here for that. Not to, oh, yeah, I want to have five babies and be a good housewife and blah, blah. Oh, no, 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 no. Mercedes, fancy clothes, big vacations, kids, forget it. Uh, how much money do you make and what are you going to spend on me? That's what you know. That's well. He it's just crazy. said it. He said it's it. Crazy. He said, "Look at commercials. That's what they promote." You know, commercials. Yeah, and these people live for. They live for yeah. commercials or advertising in magazines or advertising on the internet or whatever. You're right. They control. They the, the fuck, commercials fuck. control the society how they act, and you know that's basically whoever's writing this stuff is controlling the world. Uh-huh. By the way, there have been times in my life that I have not had a TV. Didn't miss it. Mm-hmm. So I've got a friend that lives on the Internet. I'm not going to mention his name. And every little thing that's going on in the world, he's in a full crisis. Okay? Follow right. me. Full crisis. I said, do me a favor. Stop watching Alex Jones and all these other people. Turn the TV off and your life will get much, and the computer, and your life will be much simpler. Yeah. And it's true. Or He said something that was very, very true. Or... You can just turn this on for three minutes, and you'll learn more about the world than anything. You ready? Yeah. It's all free. All you have to do is mention this radio station and come on out here to Craig Road Speedway, and everyone gets in free. Hello. Just mention the radio hey, station. you got to have the static, remember? That's all you've got to do tonight. Craig Road Speedway, yeah. the first night of the NASCAR Championship, a special practice section that leads the, the driver to do something. you got to have the static, first of all, and then you have to hear this. <laughs> From the beautiful Union Plaza Hotel, number one Main Street. And that's the show. Las Vegas. All right, Johnny.